0: Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Buckle up, Jeremy. It's Ignite Week. How you doing, buddy? (laughs) It is is Ignite Week, and I have managed to duck all of the asks and just focus on helping out next week with answering questions live during the sessions, which is awesome.
1: Nice. Nice. Good for you. So uh, I chose that that set of words because our first link this week is the developer.microsoft.com blog post that says buckle up and get ready for Ignite 2020. So uh,
0: yeah, marketing going all out with their buckle up term there in a news post.
1: Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, it's been a rough year already. So why not? (laughs) Why not? Um, but there's some interesting things here in, in the blog post, kind of a tidbit of, uh, of what's to come. At, at a tactical level, there's no like big bang surprises. Things kind of drip out lately with this new new world. I mean, I'm sure Satya's got some tricks up his sleeve, but from the developer platform, there's a, there's a lot of things. So. Yeah,
0: maybe there's a few things here you don't notice from the titles of these sessions that you might want to pay attention to. Well,
1: yeah, that's always true too.
0: We're introducing Microsoft Graph Services. You there might you have kind of fleetingly looked through that webcast without realizing what that kind of means. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm sure. sure. Well, that's good. It'd be great to, to get something here. So we'll put this blog post uh, in the show notes. You can, you can see at the bottom, it's got you connected to the virtual hub, which is a uh, a new thing in this virtual, this conference season, if you will. So look look for that. Uh, there's good developer stuff to get in there. One of the items is there in here that you posted about the, the MGT. Uh, Microsoft Graph Toolkit has a, a small update coming, or a big update, I
0: guess. <laughs> well, to have some big announcements next week, so when you listen to this, if it's live, it'll be like Wednesday, Thursday. The MGT have just released. They're getting ahead of it, basically. They're beating the noise of Ignite and competing in that swirl of announcements next week. They're They've got um, a get started new pages that is focused around if I'm a Teams developer building a Teams app or a SharePoint developer building an SPFX app, or, you know, I'm Angular developer or I'm a React developer. They've got specific prescriptive tutorials for each of those scenarios. Whereas before you kind of had to work it out yourself or watch Nicola or Beth do things way too quickly in Visual Studio Code and then keep pausing it and rewinding and to see what they've done. It's great that we have these getting started pages because I've said in the past they make it look way too easy. And this is just a you know good to have a a slow paced way of me being well, me specifically, being able to go build an Angular one with the toolkit like end to end, which is great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and I'm more and more liking the small little snips of things. I I have I have a Teams tab and I want to add a piece, get me started on that little bits at a time and then I can go on tangents myself. So I, like, I love that approach. So looking forward to trying those. I'll have to, to find those and get started myself.
0: Yeah, the, the toolkit's great for partners and also enterprise devs that want to just like get going, plugging into like really common scenarios of the graph to make the apps look more like what our Microsoft third party apps look like. Like having a people picker in your application that just, you know, shows suggested people based on you know who you email, who you message on Teams, who you collaborate on docs with, so that your users will have the same experience in the apps you build, like when they're using Outlook or Word or things like that. So the, the toolkit's really cool for those kind of common components. So if definitely check them out if you're building apps and you've got M365 customers you're plugging into for sure.
1: You know, that reminds me, when I last played with that, there I needed a people picker to, well, to show who was already... I had a list of I had a list of IDs in my database and it just show you who you know kind of like who has access. And that wasn't one of the choices. I couldn't just give it a, a list of IDs and have it render. So I should revisit that and see if maybe we can fix that. Yeah. i'm right. writing my own thing using Fluent. But anyways, on um, to the community this week. So our first one is uh, Michael Svensson posting uh, a clickbait headline by his own admission: Microsoft Search versus PnP Modern Search: A Clash of the Titans. <laughs> and so this this blog post Michael goes through a little bit of the the history or, or the what's available uh, in the, between the the Microsoft. Search that we know and love, and SharePoint Search that we've used forever, and the P&P piece is in there, so uh, I, I was interested to see this, and I'm certainly going to be watching as things go along, because uh, we know that Search is a key part of Cortex, and Cortex is coming as Cortex is coming. It's kind of like winter is coming. We've been hearing about it for a while, so I expect to see a, b- a bit more as we, c- as we get closer over the next couple of weeks, so um, certainly worth following Michael and reading about his, his ideas here of what's happening here in the, the Search land.
0: Yeah, and we've actually, um, they just lit up Cortex, or I've just noticed it lining up (laughs) in our own internal um, SharePoint instance. And we use a communication site to like broadcast a a monthly newsletter about what my new team around partners does. And it's pretty cool. Like if it identifies topics in... You know, the newsletter, you can hover over the topic name and it pops up a nice card like a people card does. And it shows you like the SMEs around that topic and links off the documents and PowerPoint decks and stuff. It's, it's super useful. Um so I'm excited to see what developers do once the extensibility story is out for Cortex, which, you know, as you mentioned, is a lot to do with the taxonomy APIs and the graph that are out there in preview and the search APIs that are out there in preview and the search connector APIs of feeding information into the search index. So um, it's a lot of moving parts, but I think they're going to bundle it really well from a Cortex side.
1: Yeah, look, I, I look forward to it rolling out in, in our tenant, um, although it might be there, I, but I don't, I don't see Cortex from via Visual Studio, so it's kind of hard to, to track it, but the, looking forward to that. The next community post I found, uh, Yannick Reekmans had a post, and I think he did a demo of this, but he has a post that will add a task to Microsoft To-Do using Power Automate triggered by a message in Microsoft Teams one of these great solutions that is connecting the dots and, and you don't have to be a developer to do that, but it certainly is, I, I love these kind of things where I can go tell a power user to help themselves instead of having to call me to, to help them over and over and over again, so great. The blog post by Yannick and a lot of steps, a lot of pictures, step by step instructions that highlights the capabilities of all these pieces when you put them all together. So good to see that. And using the new to do APIs. So uh, mm. good to see that uh, that's getting uh, kicking the tires on that right away. So it's great.
0: Yeah. I, I've noticed a bit more on Twitter people sharing that they're moving over to do from various other task platforms. But um, I've been using to do for a long time now. And I love the fact that it roams across my iPhone and iPad. and you know, Windows machine and my Mac, um, especially that I've got the personal and the work. I do have my personal tasks in my personal account. And the big thing that's missing on iOS is you can't switch between the two, which they keep saying is coming, but it's been there on Android for a long time. And for whatever reason, iOS is limping behind. But um, other than that, I love, love that notion of iOS.
1: Yeah. You know, there, there's... I came across someone who's writing a Visual Studio Code extension for tasks and storing it in some oh, wacky cool. JavaScripty database thing. So uh, I, I made a bookmark to visit back there. And when uh, when he's done, I may fork it and try to plug in to do. So you can imagine yeah, yeah. hitting F- really cool. hitting the commit in VS Code, hit the F1 button, and mm-hmm. type in remind me to do or whatever. So great solutions that we can do in there. And then uh, the, the last link I found is kind of a, a fun thing. We know that Teams. Application is written in Electron. Or node runs in Electron, and Visual VS Code runs in Electron. Well, did you know there's an Electron wrapper? I stumbled across this, and I am very intrigued. I need to find a good application that I could try to run cross-platform in Electron. So, uh, the idea here is that uh, it's a CLI and a runtime environment that you, once you have your .NET Core application written. And obviously that, of course, cross-platform. And then it's kind of like a packaging solution where you can tell to electronize, which is <laughs> a great great command line, <laughs> electronize your app and it'll give you the, the runtime that you can do to put that in there. So uh, just yeah, a little fun cool. thing to kick around.
0: There's a lot of M- uh, Microsoft MVPs in a, the ASP.NET space that are contributing to that. So yeah, worthwhile having a look at that.
1: Yeah. So uh, this week on the show, uh, you're going to be sitting down with Jeff Sakowitz. Jeff is from the Identity Group, do not you? Tell us what's, the, what's on the agenda for this.
0: Yeah, Jeff is one of those guys, whenever he comes in and there's a question asked, he just gives the most awesome answers to. So I've always wanted to get him on the show um, to talk specifically about what he's been working on for you know a while now around publisher fabrication, which was something that he's advocated for internally for a long time. And, you know, this is really important, not just to developers, uh, especially if you're publishing apps that customers are going to consume, but also to customers and also just devs in general in enterprise space being aware of what this publisher verification thing is. So I hope you enjoy the show and we'll have a lot of the people that spoke at Ignite on the podcast. So we've got a bunch of stuff we're keying up to talk around all those new announcements that come out next week.
1: Yeah, can't wait to interview a bunch of those folks and uh, see you.
0: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. It's been a hot minute since we've been in a meeting together on campus. So how have you been?
2: Yeah, it really has. Uh, I'm doing well. I, I definitely, I've been settling into the whole remote work situation, but I certainly do miss uh, face-to-face meetings.
0: And um, I've been scrolling through, you know, everything that's happening this week for Ignite and um, the timing of getting on the show was great because it turns out like the thing you've been working on for a, quite a long time now, I guess you were the you really pushed this pretty hard a few years ago when I first joined Yina's team around something that needs to be done and we're about to GA it. So do you want to kind of introduce what where you are in the team and, and what this feature is you've been working on?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I am in the identity division here at Microsoft and I particularly work on our application platform team um, within the Microsoft Identity App Platform. And my team focuses on a number of security-centric features and features that both help customers keep their data secure and help developers, good developers who are doing all the right things prove that they're trustworthy, and actually, you know, lower friction to get their applications adopted by those enterprise customers.
0: Yeah. And and so the main feature that you've been working on this publisher verification, when did this go into preview? When did you first bring this out? So we
2: announced public preview uh, back at Build in May. Um, And we did, we had a private preview before that, but we worked with a bunch of really awesome uh, ISV partners, um, you know, leading up to Build. And then we've been in public preview since. And we are announcing GA, which I'm really excited about this week at Ignite.
0: Yeah, this is awesome. And congrats to you and the team on this because this is such a it's a really important thing, not just for partners, but customers and admins. And so I'm hoping that everyone listening kind of gets the idea of like, there's a lot of complexity to this and really understanding the concept of what publisher verification is, is. Hopefully we'll get very, very clear by the end of this episode. So... You know, publisher verification it seems like a very obvious thing um, as a feature, but this is quite a complex thing in terms of you know all the different aspects this introduces that you have to be aware of as an end user and an IT admin and also as a developer as well. So how do you pitch this when you're talking to a partner, for instance, of what publisher verification is? Yeah, so conceptually it actually is very simple. Uh, publisher
2: verification exists to help developers prove that they are authentic publishers. And they do this by adding a verified organizational identity to their app registrations. This lets their customers and their prospective customers know that this app is actually published by that ISV and that, they, that they've proven that they are who they say they are.
0: Right, and so what does that look like as a, an experience for an end user then? Like, do they see something different because they're verified?
2: Yeah, they do. Um, so there's a number of benefits and results of uh, going through the process. And, but you know, one of the most tangible ones that users will see is that when the app goes to request permissions uh, on the consent screen, so if the app is requesting access to that user's emails or their OneDrive files, uh, the user will see a blue check mark. Um, a badge on the consent screen proving that and then that's you know their assurance that the app comes from a verified publisher and they'll see the verified publisher's name and they can click on that dialogue to learn more about where the app comes from
0: so at the moment like you've you've had a few of these partners that are have been part of the preview where they're they're actually already showing up in those screens as verified is that right yeah, we've had some
2: really great partners who have been, who engaged with us uh, early on in the process, gave us a lot of feedback, and um, were early adopters of the program. And those are some of the folks that we you know, a- announced with at Build. And then since then, um, we've actually had some really good uptake of this feature while it's in private preview. And as of now, we have over 600 verified publishers.
0: Wow, that's great. That's actually really cool. What brought this along? Like, it might seem obvious to... Me and you, who've been around this space for a while, but like, what were the main things that happened over time where you know this work was funded and it was prioritized?
2: Yeah, so answer that is very specific to publisher verification and the specific problem it solves, and then there's kind of a, a bunch of bigger picture factors at play here. So, I mean, to be really specific, it was very challenging for. End users and admins to know without a shadow of a doubt, because you know in many cases when apps are asking for access to sensitive data, you really have to know for sure that that thing is authentic. Um, It was it was challenging for them to know definitively whether that app came from an authentic source or not. So again, you know it the this specific program and this capability is meant to just allow that you know, that that proof of authenticity to happen. But there's also, it's part of a bigger set of investments that we're making across the company. And, and you know, you, you'll see that there's a trends moving in this direction across the industry as well, where as more and more apps are getting used by customers in the cloud, and more and more apps exist in the cloud that start to integrate with all of the rich data sources that are available, like Microsoft Graph as an example. There's all this really awesome functionality out there. But also, with all these apps asking for all these permissions to all this data, IT admins and customers are constantly being asked um, to share their data with all these different entities. And you know, admins. Uh, you know, we would hear feedback from, especially from the IT admins that we work with. That's, you know, that said basically they were being overwhelmed with all these requests, and it was hard to be able to sift through all this noise. And they, you know, they felt that they either needed to keep things completely wide open, where end users could self-service adopt you know, any app that came and asked for access to data, or they could, you know, close things down entirely and bottleneck everything through a very tight knit admin team. But, you know, the sheer amount of apps they had to deal with made that an operational nightmare. So there really wasn't a good answer. So and, and so publisher verification is just one of many investments that, is, that we're making that helps admins not have to make that untenable trade-off anymore. They don't have to choose between whether to be secure or productive. And there's this whole suite of things we're doing that start to give them finer grain controls, that start to give them more ways to quickly reason over large quantities of apps and set up policies that are proactive and, and quickly make much more informed decisions about these apps that are
0: asking for access to data. So that's a really great explanation of like why. Um, And, you know, my parents is a great example. You know, every time I go visit them in Australia and look at their iPhones, they've got a tremendous amount of apps on there where I'm pretty sure if they went in location settings, you know, they're all tracking data and they're crawling contacts from there. And my wonderful mother will just accept all those things without really understanding it. And, you know, all of our, as you mentioned, the, t- the industry is taking steps to make that more apparent, like a, the dot on the microphone on the iOS now shows up when you're in an app where it's using your microphone or, you know, it notifies you every now and again that something's taking your location. And I guess this is kind of a similar thing, right? Like we're doing the verification. We've got, had the consent windows for a while, but what kind of things can an admin do in a, an enterprise setting for those people that are maybe just accepting those dialogues, be aware of when it comes to things like wherever it is a verified publisher. And obviously in those consumer spaces, there's a store that technically should mean they're verified because of the store aspects. But how can we kind of have enterprise admins manage this in the kind of the enterprise world?
2: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. You know, a a really specific piece of feedback um, that we got from admins over the years, you know, related to some of the concerns that I already talked about was they said that they wanted to make more decisions proactively via policy, and they wanted to make decisions that would hold true across many, many apps over time in a way that got them out of that Uh, cycle of needing to hand review apps over and over and over and let users consent to things that the admins felt were within the bounds of their risk tolerance, right? So what we did is we introduced what we call app consent policies. This allows admins to basically say, instead of users can consent to no apps or users can consent to all apps, they can say users can consent to some apps based on a number of criteria that I specify. And what we recommend for admins here uh, um, as a good start starting policy is that they set up a policy that says users can grant consent to apps that have verified publishers that are asking for a set of permissions that are on a list of permissions that the admin has configured as low impact so basically if the app you know, comes from an authentic source and it's requesting permissions within a set, the admin has said is okay, then the user can make that decision. Otherwise, you know, it needs to get escalated um, to the admin. We have features that help kind of close that loop as well.
0: And, and so are there like pre-baked guidance or templates that they can use, you know, if they don't want to go through the, the lists or things like that? Is that kind of the steps they're taking?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you go into the Azure AD Enterprise Apps portal, there's now a new um, consent and permissions blade in there that we kind of split out some stuff that was previously buried in the user settings blade. And in there, uh, admins can start to configure their first consent policy, and we will recommend a set of low-impact permissions for them, Um, and they can go and they can start with those. Um, They can see what requests they're getting from end users, and they can decide whether to add more permissions to that list um, if those permissions are, you know, again, within their uh, risk tolerance threshold. And if they really want to open the hood, they can also go and create custom policies. Those custom policies can reason over specific apps, specific tenants, specific publishers, um, and they can also use uh, custom roles in Azure AD to actually have those custom policies apply to specific groups of users inside
0: the tenant. Right, okay. So you could have like most of the users in the organization has this particular set of rules and then maybe admins or sub, you know, two second tier admins can have certain other restrictions.
2: Exactly. Or app developers could be able to um,
0: consent to a slightly elevated set of things, for example. And so one of the things around this is obviously... If tenant admins start doing this, the big call to action, I guess, is the developers that are shipping apps that are multi-tenant apps that they're going to sell to their customers, either through app source or, you know, directly from their own websites. Um, if they aren't publisher verified, in a lot of these cases, this will actually block that, right? So um I think the the big obvious call to action here in the show is go get publisher-verified, which we'll talk about how you do that in a bit. But I think the other one is also around kind of those consent permissions. And I think we've talked about this before in the Graph Community Core, but this notion of making sure that you are only asking for the permissions that you need when it comes to uh, th- that consent. Is there any work going on there that can help developers around that kind of uh, guidance?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So. If you haven't checked out Graph Explorer in a while, I would strongly recommend going and checking out the new and improved Graph Explorer. There's a really good set of improvements there that will help you discover the least privileged permissions needed to make a request. In addition, uh, the API reference docs in Graph, again, if, you, if you've if you seen them, if you saw them you know, a long time back, you might not have noticed this, um, but there's been a lot of improvements to for a given request um, we have a list, we document the list of least privilege permissions in order of least to most privilege um, that will help developers figure out, you know, exactly what they need to get the job done. Nothing more, nothing less.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then I guess the other aspect of this is, you know, other than admins enforcing, a, you have to be published or verified. I did notice in the announcement this week that you are Um, putting in some kind of timeframes on some more enforcements. Can you talk a little bit about those enforcements you're doing on app registrations?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Starting in early November for newly registered multi-tenant apps, that are requesting access to data across tenant boundaries, uh, other than basic sign-in and read user profile permissions, uh, those apps will need to have a verified publisher associated with them in order for them to be user consentable. So the app can still be registered, it can still ask for permissions, but it will require admin consent uh, once it crosses outside of its own tenant boundary with its requests, unless the publisher has been verified and the app may get flagged as risky if the uh, publisher is not verified.
0: Okay, so I've hit this myself with existing rules that seem to be in play where I've had two edge browsers open with two profiles and the app was like too new and then I've tried to use that app in a different tenant. So that's like a, this is an additional thing to that kind of restriction, right?
2: Exactly. So, yeah, we do have a feature uh, that we released earlier this year called Risk Based Step Up Consent. Um, and the goal of that is to help protect users from uh, falling victim to attacks where malicious apps try and trick them into consenting uh, to grant access to sensitive data. And what we do in that case is if we have an app that, is making a consent request that we detect as risky, we will step up that request to require admin intervention. Um, So you will see, you know, uh, a very similar experience for these apps without verified publishers um, after, you know, that early November date.
0: Yeah, okay. And so the guidance for a developer that's building apps, I mean, you know, if they've signed up for the M365 developer program and they've got their M365 developer tenant, is that when they're creating or they're registering their applications in portal.azure.com is that within that same browser window where they've got SharePoint or OneDrive or Outlook or Teams UI signed in, when they go to portal.azure.com as the admin of that same tenant, that's how they should be registering their apps in that same tenant so that those restrictions around publisher verification don't exist.
2: Uh, yeah. If, if you are building an app that is meant to be used inside of that tenant boundary, then yes, you, you should register it in, in that tenant, in that same tenant. Yeah. Um, if you are, you know, an ISV building an app for uh, many different and customers, um, it's actually totally fine, and it's actually become a more popular style of architecture that I think is a good idea, frankly, to have a uh, have resource isolation and have a separate tenant for your app registrations. Um, but in that case, yeah, you'd want to go and make sure the publisher of that app is verified. But again, you know, you can always, if you have a, you know what we kind of refer to internally as a loosely held multi-tenant app where you're using it between, you know, two, three, four tenants. You can also always go grant admin consent for that thing uh, across those small handful of tenants um, because that if it is something that is highly trusted amongst your small group of tenants that you're
0: managing. Right. You yeah, like you're kind of testing that multi-tenant scenario across a few different ones. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly.
2: And which that's actually, I'm glad you mentioned that um, that is something that often gets overlooked just in general, you know, uh, aside from publisher verification, is you need to, if you're building one of these multi-tenant apps, it's really important to test it across multiple tenants and to expect that you will end up running into customer tenants that have different configurations than you than you have in your own tenant in different configurations than you expect. Um, so, you know, with different types of consent policies, different ways for users to escalate requests that need admin intervention to the admin. So you should make sure you're aware of all these scenarios and try and test across multiple tenants as best you can.
0: And then how how do you, I mean, that's something I experienced when I was at Hyperfish and with Avpoint and the partners I worked at. And, you know, we found that being very clear on the permissions up front of what they'd have to consent and why they're consenting and kind of enforce that trust with admins, especially if you were mm-hmm. doing things like all or all, where you needed more than just the scope of that one individual user for sure. What apps is this relevant to, though? Because the user consent screen only shows for like the delegated apps. So is there a notion of publisher verification for a, an application permission, application, an app only, or mm-hmm. demon app, all the different names that we have for that that one scenario? Is publisher verification valid for that too?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So let me, let me first actually step back before talking about the application permission and the demon scenario. So I think it's very easy for us to, you know, where we live in this world, where you know, we an app means a very specific thing uh, to, uh, to us in, in the world we live in. Most days, to be specific, the types of apps we're talking about here um, are apps that integrate with the Microsoft Identity Platform, aka Azure AD, to sign users in and potentially access data using service side APIs, um, either on the user's behalf or as the app itself. Um, So for example, apps that are calling Microsoft Graph, um, this is relevant for. Apps that are simply using OpenID Connect to sign users in, uh, this is relevant for. Um, But you wouldn't Publisher verification, I guess if you were to give it its, its qualified, you know, fully qualified long form name, I would call it publisher verification for Microsoft Identity Platform App Registrations. So, you know, it's re- it's relevant for these apps that use OAuth and OpenID Connect to sign users in, access data with server-side APIs, um, especially in multi-tenant scenarios. And what it's not relevant for are apps that don't integrate with Azure AD or the Microsoft identity platform, apps that don't call service side APIs under any circumstances. So a good example here is um, if I'm just building a calculator app you know, I'm going to build a better calculator than any calculator that's ever been built before. And I'm going to build that and it's just going to run on Windows. Or maybe it's even going to be embedded in um, some sort of M365 Canvas, but it is simply there to help the user with math. It doesn't save any data. It doesn't protect any sensitive data. So it never signs the user in. It never calls Graph on the user's behalf. So it doesn't integrate with AAD or MS Graph. In that case that thing doesn't do, it never asks for consent to do anything, at least on the service side. So publisher verification is not relevant there. So I guess that was a long answer, but to get back to you, I think that's a very important qualifier is, you know, um, to, to, you know, make sure people understand the types of apps we're talking about here. We're really talking about app registrations. And just to answer your question very specifically, uh, publisher verification definitely is still relevant for apps that do integrate with, AAD and Microsoft Graph, if they're using application permissions and they act as demons, publisher verification 100% still relevant because an admin wants to know um, when they go to, you know, and it might even be more important in certain cases, when that app says, I want access to all mailboxes or all SharePoint sites or all groups without a signed in user, that's very important uh, for that admin to know whether that app comes from an authentic source.
0: Yeah, and I think that for those listening that are kind of SharePoint developers or Exchange developers of old, where they're using, you know, EWS still, or they're using um, SharePoint Seesaw or SharePoint REST, where, you know, the consent is using them and password based. Mm -hmm. Basically, there is no layer of consent where you can show the admin or the user this is only files.read and not files.readwrite or write all or mail.read or mail.readwriteall all. Like that consent basically is that whoever whatever user signs in and calls those APIs is gonna get whatever that user has. And so this modern authentication stack with the consent is something that customers you know and admins especially are gonna be kind of demanding as a requirement moving forward. And so a lot of the time where I get questions around, oh, why should I use the graph? This is the first place I start, not just for partners, but also for IT admins knowing, you know, they really shouldn't be looking at AWS anymore or SharePoint CSOM for those reasons. And, you know, acknowledging that SharePoint still has a way to go with some of the gaps on the graph in terms of what can be done in CSOM and SharePoint REST that isn't available on the graph that the team are working through. But that, you know, customers are absolutely starting to you know, ask for this level of um, granular consent to know what they're granting when they uh, run these apps, whether they're, you know, user interactive ones or whether they're the background service ones as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other aspect of this is like, what do partners have to do to become publisher verification? I'm assuming you worked really hard on making this as, streamlined as possible so that we get as many as we can. I mean, if you've got 600 since we announced the preview, it must be really easy. But where's the go? What's the one-year-old to rule them all to get going?
2: (laughs) So yeah, you can check out uh, aka.ms slash publisher verification as your one-stop shop for how to learn about this. But in short, one of the really nice things here is, um, yeah, we did want to build something that was uh, easy for developers to go through, but we also wanted to do something that was... A strong verification that had a strong verification mechanism or several strong verification mechanisms um, underneath it. So the good news is, um, on a bunch of fronts that identity verification is not a new concept. It's not a new concept uh, for developers partnering with Microsoft um, and in participating in our ecosystem. So the vast majority of the work to be done for a developer to add a verified publisher to their app registration... Is actually something a lot of folks might have already done if they list an app in AppSource or Azure Marketplace or Windows Store or something like that. Um, and and by the way, you know I, I want to make sure it's clear that. We are adding, you know, what, what didn't exist before publisher, this publisher verification feature we're talking about today is the ability to tell whether the publisher of an OAuth app is verified. Microsoft has already been for, you know, has, is already verifying all the publishers of the apps that are showing up in Microsoft storefronts. So if you are acquiring an app from those storefronts, you can, you know, and if you've been doing that for years, you can still, you know, rest assured that, that the identity of that publisher had, had been verified before that app was able to get into a store back to, you know, the the steps to add a verified publisher to your app registration. So the first thing is to get a Microsoft partner network account and to go through organizational identity verification, aka vetting for that account. Um, And like I said, many partners have already done this um, if they've listed their apps in a, a number of Microsoft storefronts or marketplaces. Once you have that Microsoft partner network account, you take your MPN ID and you come over to the AAD app registration portal and you drop that MPN ID into the branding blade and you click verify. And we do a few checks in the background to make sure that your account's in good standing, um, to make sure that you're actually the user who's clicking the verify button is the right level of admin on both the AAD side and the partner center side. Um, And we do a bunch of other checks to make sure everything is secure and checks out. You know, if everything passes, um, then that's it. And now you have uh, added a verified publisher to your app registration and users will start seeing the impact of that, you know, almost immediately.
0: One question I can have, and I'm going to revert back to picking on CJ here, who is our uh, CTO at Hypefish, where we, I know for a fact for acquisition, um, they had a variety of different organizational tenants set up where you know they create they register the applications in separate tenants in that scenario where i don't think it's possible to move an app registration to a different organization would you be able to do that same verification using the same account in those three azure ad orgs in the branding blades how does that work
2: yeah so that's actually a that's a really good question it's so it's one of our most common questions and one of the things that we helped developers work through most frequently when we were in our early preview phases and getting feedback um, and fine-tuning the experience here. So you absolutely can. Uh, we, we, made, we realized it was important, actually, and, and CJ was one of our earliest uh, people who provided feedback uh, on this exact topic. So if you're listening, thank you very much. Long story short, yes, you can do that. What, what needs to happen? So the way that we make sure, there's a couple ways we make sure that the partner center account is actually owned by the same entity that owns the app registration, right? And and one of the ways we do that is doing a domain check. In order for uh, the addition, in order for this verification step to succeed, either the app's publisher domain or a verified domain on the tenant must match the domain that was used during the verification process in Partner Center. So what that means is, um, although a domain can only be verified as a custom domain on one tenant at a time, if you've got your resource tenant where you're holding your app registrations, or if you've gone through some M&A, maybe, what you can do is if you can't use the tenant level verification step to make that domain match. You can add a publisher domain, which is a prereq to doing publisher verification anyways. And you can make sure that your publisher domain you add matches the domain you used in MPN. Um, So that's step one and there's one other important step which is um, easy just often overlooked which is to add if the secondary tenant is not yet is not the tenant that you signed up for partner center with in the first place you have to go there's a tenant configuration uh, screen in partner center and you can add additional tenants there Um, so you just need to make sure you add that auxiliary tenant and again make sure you're signed in with the right user account who has rights to take action on both sides Um, but yeah it can absolutely be done.
0: But I think the the guidance there, and again, this obviously wasn't known when we all did this years ago, is that when you're creating those app registrations that will be used in production to ship to a store or ship to multiple customers, that the reality is that should all be in one of your, is home tenant the right word? Or I don't know, like the main tenant you associate with your partner center record, I guess. Although it seems like there are ways to, get around that now but i still think that's probably the best guidance right
2: yeah it it really depends so what we tend to see if you have if your tenant's sole purpose is publishing apps then it makes sense to register your app there however if you were we're starting to see a trend towards an architecture that i mentioned briefly previously but um we'll revisit, which is to have a resource tenant and to do resource isolation for your app registrations and treat them as something, you know, an app registration should be treated as something that's just as sensitive as an Azure subscription or a Key Vault, or a database, right?
0: Right, yeah, that makes sense.
2: So we see this trend where um, if an ISV uses Office 365 and publishes multi-tenant apps for consumption by their customers. Oh, they isolate them from their
0: own tenant. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, okay, right. yeah, that and, makes sense. And, and so yeah, basically yeah, yeah. what you can do there is, yeah, again, you use publisher domain and you use the multi-tenancy model is what Partner Center calls it. Um, it's a little different than what we call multi-tenancy in the identity side. But basically, yeah, you can associate a set secondary tenant with your partner center account. And then you can add a publisher domain to your app registration that is the same domain as you use for email in your quote unquote corp tenant. So people often have a corp tenant or like a resource or a user's tenant, and then they'll have a resource tenant or an app registration tenant.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. That's a good tip. Cool. So what was the link? aka.ms slash publisher verification? Yes. That is it. Can't get any easier than that. Good job (laughs) in getting that off the Akka link site. Thank you so much, Jeff. And I will say as a a fellow PM, it's a pleasure working with you. And I'm really happy to see this get to GA because I know how much energy you've put behind this to make this a reality. So um, thank you for making our world safer and our publishers happier and customers happier to kind of adopt and connect into our data. So thank you.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. It's uh, always a pleasure chatting with you and working with you. And I will say, you know, it's, yeah, it's great to see this get out there. It's been a a long time in the works and, you know, it's been a huge team effort by a lot of awesome
0: folks um, who have put a lot of time and energy into this. So I'm I'm really happy that we're announcing GA this week. We don't tend to do ship parties anymore, but I think this one is worthy of one and you might need just to drive down to campus and jump in the fountain or something.
2: Yeah, we can we can call the team and we can have people jump into the fountain one, one once at a time, one by one. Yeah, exactly. I think I think this does uh, warrant that. I agree. Cool.
0: Well, like, um, have a good ignite week, mate. And um, it was great to have you on the show.
2: All right. Thanks a lot for having me, Jeremy. Talk to you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.